before you hire a production company or commit to learning Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere or buying a new camera and trying to do all the things, before you do all of that, test your idea out. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Ryan Coral. 16 years ago, I started a video production company. I've got a staff of four full-time employees. We work with businesses primarily today and tell their stories in a way that gets their audience to lean in and to understand the heart and soul of who this company is and what they're about. And then four years ago, I started coaching. I've been learning for the past 16 years, so I've failed a lot and I have loved sharing over the past four years with this tribe called Studio Sherpas. And I've got a weekly podcast where you know I kind of share my successes and failures and have lots of guests on. While Ryan's officially been in business for 16 years at this point, he caught the bug early on. I didn't realize, I think probably until about 10 years ago, that I had the heart of an entrepreneur since I was teeny tiny. I remember being in third grade and wanting to create a magic show. And my dad said, that's a great idea, but uh, you know, how are people just going to park in my driveway? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, I need to charge you to have people park in my driveway. And I'm like, what are you talking? I'm like, oh gosh. So I had to raise the price of my magic show entry and uh, to cover the cost of parking. And, and then also I wanted to buy bigger and better magic tricks. Part of the work Ryan now does with his production company, Tell Studios, is partnering with subject matter experts to help them create and market online courses. Not just doing the shooting and the editing, but actually managing the marketing, the Facebook ads, the email campaigns, all of that stuff. So, you know, people can come to us and just say, hey, we've got a skill set and we can help them script and put together what they need to say in front of the camera, and then we can do all the other work. In this episode, we're digging into Ryan's experience creating courses for his own brand, as well as for his clients, to get to the heart of what it takes to take your existing knowledge and package it into an online course, including where to get your ideas, reach out to people and say, hey, here's what I'm doing, or hey, what problems are you currently facing? What's the most important thing to you about doing yoga? Why do you do it? Why are you thinking about doing it? Why don't you do it? You know, what are the things that are stopping you? How to validate an idea by pre-selling it? We'll pre-sell, and if it works, then we go into production, which production really just means we're doing live webinar format, slideshows typically, you know, like a PowerPoint. And why you don't need a ton of people when you're first starting out to still make an impact. If you could sit in a room with 20 people and teach them the thing that you are so passionate about, to have 20 people in a room, I think that's a big deal. We also talk a lot about getting over perfectionism, removing the barriers that are keeping you from launching, and embracing the fact that your first version doesn't need to be perfect. And maybe it shouldn't be. You don't learn until you launch, and you're just never going to be good enough. Your stuff, you're never going to be... So, so happy with where things are at with your course or your emails or whatever. There's always more work to do. There's always refining, but you will never know if you can be successful. You, you will never know if you can help anybody unless you actually put your first draft out there. Ryan and I go way back. He was one of my very first clients when I started Counterweight Creative almost five years ago. And over that span, we've been able to watch each other grow and evolve in our businesses. One of the most intriguing aspects about being able to peek behind the curtain of Ryan's online education business, Studio Sherpas, has been seeing how what looks like success on the outside, multiple six-figure launches, for example, isn't always what it seems. I wanted to start my conversation with Ryan by digging into the topic of appearance versus reality in the first couple years of his business. 
When I started the business called Studio Sherpas four years ago, I started it with my friend, Matt Davis. We were 50-50 business partners. And the whole idea was like, you know, everything that we make, we're going to split down the middle 50-50. So right from the beginning, you know, I lost half of my profit. Today, four years later, long story short, uh, Matt and I are still great friends, but we are not business partners. I own the business solely. He's a part of our community, but is not, you know, doing anything inside of the business. So along that way, especially at the beginning when we started making money, it was like, oh, cool, you know, $100,000 and, you know, and beyond that. Well, then we had, you know, we had Facebook ads costs and we had software costs and then we had to bring on a virtual assistant to help us in a lot of different areas. And then we're producing a great podcast. And so we had to bring on a podcast agency like you and, you know, just not like you, actually you. So, you know, there were lots of financial costs and then, you know, to be splitting that 50-50 was kind of like, well, what are we splitting 50-50, you know, 50% of zero is <laughs> zero after expenses. So, you know, we had done, I remember at one point, I think, or maybe close to the two-year mark, we had done, I don't know, well over $200,000. And I think our take-home was like, it was like $15,000 each, it may, maybe 20000 It was, it was thinking about, you know, when I started this second business, because I, you know, the video production business was going great, but I, I just felt like I had more margin and more capacity in my life. And so I approached my wife and I just said, hey, Matt and I are really excited about starting this thing. I know it's gonna take a lot of time. You know what it was like when I first started the business 12 years ago or whatever it was at that point. Do you think this is a smart idea? Can you get behind me and cheer me on through this? Or do you just think it's a terrible idea and I shouldn't do it? And she's like, no, I, it will be hard, but like, let's do it. You know, you got this, you can do it hindsight is like, wow, man, I didn't realize that it was going to be more than two years of creating this content and all of this stuff before I actually started making money. Because, you know, the first two years, it was like when I worked at a summer camp a long time ago and I was 19, 20 years old and you're there Sunday through Saturday making about what equates to like 20 cents an hour super fulfilling work, very fun, loved it. Same thing with Studio Sherpas, we launched it, loved it, we're having an impact. People are like, oh, my business is changing and this is great and we're like, cool and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm, if I was putting the same amount of time into Studio Sherpas into my, you know, my real business, I'd probably be a bazillionaire, yeah, maybe not. Um, but it wasn't all about the money. There was definitely a sense of fulfillment, but for two, a little over two years, it was really like, we're building something. And so seeing the success of like, oh yeah, you know, we could say we had a six figure launch, but I know what that cost and how much time and how many late nights and how many early mornings. And, and that was for a season of my life. It was hard, but it was good. You know, it was definitely worth it. And today my life looks a lot different. My, you know, work life balance is way healthier today, but that was the end in mind that we had had. It, it wasn't like, hey, this is going to be an unending, you know, hustle just because we want to constantly, you know, we want to hit seven figures or whatever. It was like, hey, let's get to the point where the stuff kind of works. And yeah, we can keep building and adding on to it. But the late nights and the early mornings and today, this week, I'll be working on Friday. But I started taking Fridays off last year in July. And then when COVID hit this year, I, I kind of had to, you know, move some things around just to make sure that we're in a good spot, but for the most part, you know, my Fridays are like super light and I'm doing things that I love and I want to do and I'm able to think more about my business. So anyway. So like looking back now, did you think that was going to be a lot shorter? 
turnaround time towards it being successful and up and running? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I'm buying things like uh, six figure course, you know, make six figures doing this webinar, make six figures doing this course, I'm buying these things and I'm and I'm like, man, if this person can do it, I can totally do it. And not that they were misleading or anything. I just think that, you know, they had different skill sets and they had a different network and they had a different niche and there were just different things for all of the things that I was like buying into and believing but I don't think I would do it any different. I, I know what it takes to build a business. I know it's a lot of hard work and I know there's a lot of groundwork that has to happen. And, and when I think back to when I started the video business, it probably was, I don't know, three or four years, probably four years where, you know, in the evening, my wife and I are sitting down to watch a show and I'm like, Hey, let me run upstairs and I can start exporting this video real quick. And Hey, you know what? Just pause that. I'm going to start compressing a DVD and then I'm, I'm going to start burning. You know, so it was like constantly always doing something, but with the sole intention of saying like, I want more freedom in my life. I want more financial freedom. I want more time freedom so that I'm not, you know, I can shut it down at four o'clock or five o'clock or I don't have to work on Fridays or I can take three or four weeks of vacation in the summer if I want to, or I can take a month off in January if I want to. I think Knowing that, hey, it's going to take a lot of hard work up front, but what are what are our long-term goals? And in the middle of that, if it was too crazy, if it was too hard on our marriage or, you know, my kids didn't know me, then that would be a big deal. But I think we've always done a pretty good job of making family time a priority, making the other things in life a priority, even though like, you know, I might be extra tired still knowing that, hey, I need to have one-on-one time with my son. And hey, I need to get one-on-one time with my girls. And hey, I need to actually date my wife, even though like, where the heck am I going to find the time? Wrestling through that together with Andrea and, and having her on the same page, that has made all the difference. Because, you know, unfortunately, being in business this long, being as old as I am, yeah, I have so many friends that weren't on the same page with their significant other. And and then to see divorce and to see the kids. And, and that's, you know, that's what I experienced growing up is being a kid from a single parent, you know, raised, raised by one parent, you know, my parents are divorced and, uh, and I don't, I, I didn't want that for my kids, but at the same time also didn't want the same lifestyle that, that I had, even though I, I had everything I needed when I was little, but I had big dreams and big goals and things that I want to do in the world and impact that I want to have. So I know that that costs something. I can't just work four hours a week and get that thing that I want. Unfortunately, I'm not Tim Ferriss. Yeah, <laughs> only one Tim Ferriss. So let's say that we have an example person here. Let's say that they are a yoga instructor and they're looking to take their expertise. They're doing in-person yoga training. Typically, that's their business right now. And they're looking to package that into an online course. I'm curious for people like that. It's a little bit different from your situation because you were essentially teaching something different than the service you were delivering to your clients. So it was more of starting a new business, but I assume it's a little bit easier when you're just taking it from one medium in person to another. So what are kind of the, the first steps there when somebody's looking to take this thing they're doing in real life and package that knowledge into an online offering uh, in the form of a course? You know, when we have people coming to us today, we partner with different course creators and are providing that as a service and managing the process. So not just doing the shooting and the editing, but actually managing the marketing, the Facebook ads, the email campaigns, all of that stuff. So, you know, people can come to us and just say, hey, we've got a, a skill set and we can actually just help them script and put together what they need to say in front of the camera. And then we can do all the other work. So we have a lot of people come to us and say like, yeah, I've, I've heard you guys have had a lot of success in helping other people sell courses and whatnot. 
can you help me? And I'm like, you know, some of the first questions I asked is like, well, how big is your email list? And people were like, wow, most everybody's like, I don't have an email list. And I was like, okay, well, what kind of social media following do you have? I was like, ah, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a couple thousand people. I'm like, okay, well, what kind of engagement do you get when you post stuff? And, and so I'll, I'll go on their social media and I'll look and you know, their last post was from three months ago and two people commented. One was their mom. The other was like themselves. <laughs> so I think that testing out an idea like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about taking my business online. I think that is an incredibly smart idea. Like, especially in today's day and age to do what you do. If there's a way to take that online, I think everybody should be doing that. But what I would also say is before you, you know, hire a production company or commit to learning Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere or, or buying a new camera and trying to do all the things before you do all of that, test your idea out, see who's interested, you know, go on Facebook or Instagram, wherever you spend time and, and just say, hey, I'm thinking about teaching a course who would be interested in this thing about, you know, how to do yoga from your basement or, you know, something like that and, and just start to see who's interested and then, you know, maybe do something for free and make it super low production. Like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to have my iPhone and it's going to be real low production and let people know that the expectation is very low, but you just want to, you know, get your feet wet and see, see how you like doing it, see what people, how they respond, see who does respond. And then if it sort of works, if you feel like, yeah, I mean, sure, there was lots of technical issues and glitches and whatever, but the people that came, you know, the three people that came, they really liked it then, you know, build on that. And I think the next logical step is to just figure out like, how can you start building some influence, which really, in my mind, the smartest thing to do is build an email list, right? If you don't have an email list where you can reach out to people and say, hey, here's what I'm doing, or hey, what problems are you currently facing? What's the most important thing to you about doing yoga? Why do you do it? Why are you thinking about doing it? Why don't you do it? You know, what are the things that are stopping you? And then to create content around that, free content that people can relate to, can like, and then sharing that content online. I will just say, if you look at my social media followings, I don't have, <laughs> I've got an embarrassingly low engagement, but the size of your following, it doesn't matter. It's really the, the kind of impact, like what you're trying to do. If you could sit in a room with 20 people and teach them the thing that you are so passionate about, to have 20 people in a room, I think that's a big deal. To, I mean, to have a group of like five people that want to listen to you and want to learn from you. So first thing I would just say is like, don't be discouraged if you quote unquote only have five people that want to hear you. Because if you can transform their lives with yoga in just five people, you've transformed somebody's life with your skill, your talent. That That's amazing. Now, granted, if you want to build a business around that, you might need more than five people. Maybe you don't. Maybe each person pays a thousand bucks a month and you're making $5,000 a month from those five people. That that might be great. But if you're like, well, no, I need to, you know, people aren't going to pay that much and here's what, you know, what I think the structure is, then you've got to get to more people, right? And, and I think creating some kind of a lead magnet and then you can start building your email list and then you can start asking people, well, what else? Like if I was to create another free thing or if I was to create a paid thing, like what should I create? And then you can be posting, you can reach out to so many people on LinkedIn or wherever you're hanging out on social media and just say, hey, I've got this free yoga training, you know, 20 minutes long. It's it's like includes this, this and this. You are adding goodness into the world by offering something for free in exchange for somebody's email address. And then once you have that email address to ask them, okay, like what other struggles, what, how, how else can I help you? That will help give you 
the outline of your course, or what you might find out is nobody cares. And if you find out that nobody cares, that's actually a win because you didn't spend time, money, energy on buying all of the things, you know, doing all of the courses, all of that. You can save yourself a lot of time by just starting small and starting to ask those questions of like, how is going to help? And if, if it's crickets, then back to the drawing board. Yeah. And that's that's a good thing. And it's really easy as creators of anything to get excited about our idea because, you know, we all think it's the best thing since sliced bread every single time. Every idea that comes to us, we're every like, this time. is the one everybody needs to know this. It's going to change everyone's life. And most of those are not. And uh, there might be a few people who are interested in those. And, you know, most of the people aren't. And I know that that was something that I have. Uh, I think everybody goes through that. I think that very few people are actually willing to kind of validate an idea in advance. They have to go through, you know, that learning curve of like creating something, putting it out there. Nobody shows up. You invested maybe dozens of hours, hopefully not like hundreds of hours into creating something and nobody shows up and it's easy to get like mad at your audience and blame them. And in the end, you kind of have to just be like, okay, eventually, okay, next time I'm not going to do that again. That was too painful. So let's just see is anybody interested in how many people do I need to do this to say like, okay, I will, this is enough people who've maybe prepaid even, and then I'm going to create it. Have you followed that kind of blueprint for your courses validating and pre-selling? Yes. I mean, I think that's where it's at is, you know, maybe you have 10 or 20 people and you can say, well, Hey, you know, I'm glad that you got the free thing. I'm going to do this, you know, this four part thing and it's going to cost a thousand bucks it's for sale now. It's only for sale for the next two days. Who wants to buy it? Nobody buys it. Well, guess what? Don't do the thing. Or one person buys it and you're like, oh, it's not going to be worth it. Well, then you can go back to that person after the two days and say, you know what? Change of plans. Nobody, not enough people were interested. Here's your money back. Again, you've saved yourself some time. So maybe it's the wording or maybe it's the, you know, what you're actually offering that just needs to be tweaked. Maybe the the concept of it is there, but it, in the way that you're presenting it, the way that people are seeing or not seeing the value that can all be changed. So if you're a super successful in what you're doing, that's why when we partnered with Susan, I knew it'd be successful because she's already touring the world, doing workshops, getting tons and tons of positive reviews and testimonials and all that stuff. Same thing with Heather, new partnering with her, the same thing. She's a wanted presenter at workshops and conferences and all that stuff. So if you are already successful on an in-person you know, whatever your thing is, then there's a good chance that you can be successful online, but it's just a matter of packaging it the right way. Because I think a lot of times the thing that we think is what sells what we do isn't actually the thing that gets people to lean in and to want more, especially when you go from in-person to online, because the internet can be a scary place. There's lots of stranger danger. Like if you don't know, like, and trust the person, it's a lot harder to get somebody to buy from you. Yeah. So you're in a, actually a great position if you are already doing something in person where you have interaction with paying customers of some kind or, or non-paying customers. If you're just, you know, volunteering and leading yoga workshops or whatever that might be to, to kind of get your reps in. What kinds of questions or conversations would you look to have with those people in person beforehand so you can kind of, you know, get them to write your sales copy for you and find out everything you need to know to hopefully make it a successful online launch or, or pre-launch? The question I'm always asking is like, you know, what's your biggest frustration? What's your biggest frustration with, you know, when I started Studio Sherpas, it was like, what was your biggest frustration in trying to find more clients? 
because that is probably the biggest frustration. Or the question is, what is your biggest frustration in your video business? It's like not finding enough clients. In your coaching business, not finding enough clients or not, not clients that value what I do enough. You get those sentences from your ideal audience. Like, well, what are the things? When you hired me, like what was, what was the thing that you were struggling with or most frustrated? And then what was it about me that made you decide to hire us? Everything that they give you, your email list, whoever you're talking to, and you're asking those questions, when, when people give you their sound bites back, that has to become your sales copy, like you're saying, Jeremy. I mean, because those are your clients. They have friends that are saying those same things. You, as the one that's providing the service, you might say like, well, I've got the best yoga studio in town. It's really great. I, I went to this school, which is a really great school, and I have you know all of these certifications and so the thing that, you know, we think might be like really cool marketing is not resonating, but it's like, you know, somebody might just say, hey, I've got severe back problems and I had no idea that yoga could actually help me. Well, guess what? There's a reason why like every other commercial on TV or on the radio is like, do you have back problems? Do you have back pain? It's because like, that's the pain point for people. As soon as I hear that, because I do have back stuff, I lean in. I'm like, yes, tell me more. Like you can help me. So the question of like, what's your struggle, your biggest struggle, your biggest frustration, uh, where do you need help in this area of, you know, fill in the blank. When you can get those things, then your people, your tribe is giving you your sales copy, your email copy, your subject lines for your emails, your your leading line for your, your website. But then also they're giving you the things that you need to include in whatever, you know, free course or paid course that you're going to do. They're giving you that content. And if you can get people to fill out an in-depth survey after they, they give you that initial, you know, what's your biggest frustration? Oh, thank you so much for sharing your big frustration with me. I totally get that too. Hey, I would, I would love to dive in a little bit more. I've got, you know, five more questions in this little survey and, and get people to go deeper rather than you come up with all of your outline and all the things that you want to teach in your course, getting your people to tell you what they need help with is going to be 80% of your course. And then the, the other 20% is the things that you've learned along the way and just kind of like adding that 20% to make the whole thing very relatable, very relevant, and also giving them new epiphanies that they've never had before. There are a couple of things I want to follow up on here. I've mentioned this resource before, but when it comes to finding out what your audience actually wants from you, the book Ask by Ryan Lebesque is a must read. There's a link in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. The second thing I want to dig into is Ryan's excitement about the idea of pre-selling. And he's not the only one who's excited about it. Ryan and I have a mutual friend, Haley, who about a year and a half ago pre-sold her first product. In the time that's passed since, her excitement over the concept of pre-selling has become almost annoying. Haley and I have been in a mastermind together for the past few years, and since her successful pre-sale, anytime anyone else in the group mentions a new idea, the first words out of her mouth are, and I quote, pre-sell that shit. You really have to hear her say it with her British accent to get the full effect, but it's both adorable and, after hearing it now dozens of times, getting annoying in its repetition and predictability. That is until earlier this year, when I finally took her advice and pre-sold my Podcast Marketing Academy and got almost 20 people enrolled at $500 a person before I'd filmed a single video. Like many people, I've wasted a lot of time and money creating offers in the past that no one turned out to be interested in. The worst was a bundle sale that I spent hundreds of hours creating that ended up losing more than $5,000. Having the experience of pulling off a successful presale 
I now totally understand Haley and Ryan's enthusiasm for this approach, and I'm certain that I will never create another product without a presale again. Yeah, I mean, case in point there. We've saved ourselves a ton of, ton of time and energy and money, uh, but then we've also made a lot of money because that was the route that we went. You know, that that model is, in my mind, the way that we do it is we'll pre-sell, and if it works, then we go into production, which production really just means we're doing live webinar format, so it's not even like super intense production. Slideshows typically, you know, like a PowerPoint, and then once that live part is done. Then we go back because we've asked a lot of questions along the way. People, people have asked us a lot of questions because even though they told us that they wanted it and, and they showed up, there are still a lot of questions that I didn't even think of. You know, I've got my outline, but as I'm teaching, they're like, Hey, question about that question about that. Then what my homework to do is once the, the live training is done, then I go back and I'm like, looking at all the questions that people had, and then I'm refining my outline, I'm adding more stuff into my outline, and then we'll go to production at our studio or at, in my basement as we are right now, and uh, actually shoot, you know, start to finish bite-sized pieces of the well-produced course. But again, not, not trying to spend tons of time and money on the production end, even though that's what we do. I know that it doesn't require, you know, tons and tons of time and energy to create content that people are already clamoring for. Mm -hmm. I like that you mentioned kind of brought up the production quality and, and starting at not super produced because I think probably you and I are more on the technically minded side of things than most people listening from the video and audio side. But I feel like if you're in one of those worlds, you probably care a lot about high quality production on both of them. And that was something that had held me back. I'd been wanting to create a course for probably two, three, even four years since, I mean, that's kind of everybody who gets into online business wants to have the whole like digital product scalable course or, or whatever it might be. And so I had never really landed on a idea I was excited about, but there was also this production side of things that I was just like, ah, well, you know, I don't have a good video camera, I love the lighting, all, all these different things. Like I have a microphone, but my background's gonna look so ugly. It's just gonna be like some wall in my house or whatever. And it's really funny now, I, this year, I feel like I finally got over that and was just like, okay, I just gotta create something and I can do it later. And it's really funny that of, of course, when you, you're self-conscious about your own creations and you want it, everybody wants it to look great, but I've started paying more attention to some of the courses that I've bought and I've paid for some like thousand, fifteen hundred $1,500 courses that they're filmed on a phone. They're filmed, the background's different every single time in every video over like 40 videos. And they've been fantastic and worth way more than I paid. And I was like, oh, okay, it's, it's not about the design. It's not about the video quality and, and filming it in 4k and with this like fantastic microphone and all this stuff. It's like, if the content is good enough and if you have answered people's questions and pain points in your marketing and copy, like, and I trust you given the other content that you put out, like, yeah, I'll buy your course and it doesn't need to be great if I'm getting a lot of value out of it. Yeah. hundred percent. I bought a course uh, at the beginning of this year. It was only 47 bucks but everything in the sales copy, everything was, it, it was really the course is all about like how to get your kids to do chores and how to build out, you know, better chore charts and, and whatever. But, uh, you know, it was the, the production quality was terrible. It was so bad, but I didn't care because I was just after the content. I didn't, uh, you know, the, this, this woman was great. I don't even know her name. I wasn't like trying to, you know, a huge fanboy. I wasn't going to follow her. I didn't care about any of this stuff. I just wanted the content. And that's how, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if you can make my life better, then I don't care how you do it. Now, the only caveat is I would invest in a good microphone. I'm a video guy. I think good video, like, you know, people like to look at good video. 
I would say your setup right now is like, it's totally fine. You know, I think you have a light. Do you have a light on you? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a light on you, but it's not like, it's not highly produced. It's just a, it's pretty clean besides those plants that want to eat you in the background. <laughs> uh, you know, but that's like the fact that you have a, a good microphone, like that's the biggest thing that drives people crazy. And I listen to a lot of the courses that I purchase, right. While I'm driving or working out or whatever. So there's a lot of times where I'm not even looking at the thing. So when the audio sounds tinny or it's just like, you know, you got, you got to turn it up really loud because it was just record or somebody used their iPhone headphones that the one that dangles and it like hits their beard every time, or it's hitting their jewelry that drives everybody crazy. So spend a hundred bucks, 150 bucks on a, on a decent microphone. If you get one that sits on your desk, be careful of like tapping on your desk because people can usually hear that, which is also super annoying. So that's my only thing is like, if you're going to do a course, invest a little bit of money to buy a good microphone. I'm sure Jeremy has some suggestions. I do as well, but, uh, but don't, you know, don't feel like you got to buy like super expensive mirrorless camera. I mean, that stuff is great. And if you can afford it and do it cool, but not necessary. I think you just, you, you do need good audio. That's, that's my only, that's my two cents. Yeah. And the other thing that I, I kind of had this whole thing around the video, the editing is that you can edit audio without anybody noticing where it is, but you can't cut a video seamlessly almost never, unless you're doing like punch-ins and punch-outs, which is more advanced video production than most people are going to be doing. But so with my course, I wanted to have a, a video aspect. So I did an intro to each lesson where I was on camera. And then after that, I was going to hold myself up in creating it. So I was just like, okay, I'm just doing full screen slides. My face is not going to be on it. They get that FaceTime right at the start and then at the end of the lesson, and they can just hear me talking throughout. And then I can just make all these like edits to the audio. Nobody knows. And I don't have to get hung up on all these technical things. So I know for me, just like removing all these barriers that I knew were going to hold me up, whether it was the uh, fancy equipment or the editing process or the recording or whatever it was. And I was like, I just need to make this as easy on myself as possible to get this out there the first time. And I can go back later in version two, three, four, whenever, and upgrade the quality then. And what's funny is I've, <laughs> I've said that same thing, but usually done is good enough. Like the, you know, where we end up is usually good enough. I don't have people reaching out and saying like, oh man, I wish the video quality was better. I'm smart enough to know. And I've learned the hard way that having good audio from the start is so key that my video can be, eh, it can be, you know, it can be meh, but it's usually good enough. And then at the very end of the day, you can always cover it up by, you know, if you really thought you needed to be on screen, you can take your video, make your window, your video window, like a thumbnail size, and then do slides on the screen so that you're still there. And if you're smaller, it's harder to see the imperfections. People can still see you, but being driven by a, a PowerPoint, that experience, I've bought plenty of thousand dollar courses that are just PowerPoint and that's fine. Again, for me, it's I'm after the content and if there's good visuals, cool, but like that's just like icing on the cake. I don't need that. Well, actually I do. If I'm going to eat cake, I do need the <laughs> icing on the cake. I'm not going to eat a cake that doesn't have icing. Naturally. I think that's actually worth digging into a little bit because I think it's different for every person. So we were talking about Haley before. So she has also just launched a course. She works, kind of does a similar thing with you, teaching motion designers how to uh, run better businesses. And so for her, the animations and the motion graphics, she got obsessed over it. And I can see it would be really easy for you to get obsessed over the video quality because it's video producers who are consuming your content. And for me, it, it's I'm creating a course for podcasters, so the audio needs to be spot on. And so no matter what you're doing, if you're teaching a yoga class, your form, you're going to get in your mind that my form needs to be beyond reproach. I cannot have a single thing wrong with it. 
And I, I think that that's not true. Like you do not need to be superhuman and whatever the courses that you're going to be creating, you're going to be worried that people are going to judge you, but probably people who are more advanced than you aren't buying your course in the first place. It's a bunch of people who are brand new or like a few levels behind you and they're not going to pick up on that stuff at all. So I think it, that's like something to be aware of and notice when you feel yourself getting into that mindset of being like, oh, it, it needs, to, I'm not good enough yet. I need to wait until this. That's, you should probably just do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's malarkey. We launched a new course, a, a very small product, and we put Facebook ads behind it, and the thing was selling. And I'm like, oh, this is super fun. You know, it's a you know forty-seven or ninety-seven dollar product, and <laughs> I shot the video in my basement here. I'm I'm at home, you know, working, doing everything from home, and I exported it, send it to the Facebook team, and. After, I don't know, three or four weeks, I noticed there was a comment. I got notification on Facebook that there's a comment on the Facebook ad and, and I went and read and the, the person said, dude, I'm definitely not buying a course from a video guy whose audio is not synced up with his lips in the, you know, in the thing. And then, and then shortly thereafter, somebody else said, yeah, I totally agree. And then they were making fun of the color grading that I had done, which, which really, if you're a video person, I did no color correction. It was like straight out of camera. I don't, you know, I'm not the editor on our team anymore. We've got a couple of people that do that, but I wasn't going to bother my team with like editing my short little Facebook ad video. Done is better than perfect. I could have done one of two things. I think my old self would have just like, you know, curled up in a ball and like cried and like, oh no, people, they know I'm a fraud. This is the worst thing. They're making fun of me. I could have done that or I could have just said, you know what, uh, either this is worth fixing or I don't care about what they're, okay, I did watch it over a few times and I'm like, yeah, I guess it is off a little bit and I could do some color grading and since my people are video people, I probably owe it to like take it up a notch and so I spent 10 more minutes taking it up a notch and that's all I did. I did not and then I said, I said, you know what, we've, I've already made sales on this. And like you're saying, Jeremy, those people that were commenting, you know, those people, I don't want them part of my tribe anyway. They, they, I just, there was like a negative vibe from them and not just because they were calling me out, but like who leaves a kind of comment unless they're super offended and super annoyed, you know, it's like, okay, well I've had people reach out to me directly and just say like, Hey dude, like you're, you know, you might want to fix your audio. That's super helpful to me. Those comments were helpful because I think I made the thing a little bit better. But as far as converting more people, I don't think it is. So anyway, my thing, and you've heard this from me for the longest time, you don't learn until you launch and you're just never going to be good enough. Your stuff, you're never going to be so, so happy with where things are at with your course or your emails or whatever. There's always more work to do. There's always refining, but you will never know if you can be successful. You, you will never know if you can help anybody unless you actually put your first draft out there, unless you put it out there and start getting responses, don't wait until you've got a polished final product. By holding that back, you're not giving the world an opportunity to be able to learn and grow. And if you really do, and I believe, you know, if you're listening to this show, there is something inside of you that you're so excited about and so passionate about helping and sharing with the world. Don't hold it back. Don't let technology, don't let your own fear of like people calling you out. Like those people, those people aren't your core audience. Just say, you know, there's probably somebody out there that has the kind of quality or whatever it is that you're looking for. There's somebody else out there, right? Because there's, you know, we're not the only one doing this thing. Just launch, just put it out there and wait to see what people think, but don't have those conversations in your mind of what people are going to think and how they're going to view you because 
putting something out there, you're, you're in the ring. There are always going to be people that are in the stands that are, you know, they've got something to say, you know, it's like, you know, going to a sporting event and like listening to people like bad mouth the players. And it's like, dude, that guy is out there. That guy or that, that woman, they're making hundreds, if not millions of dollars. They're doing the thing, maybe not up to the standard that, but what are you doing? You're like overweight. You haven't played that sport since you were, you know, 16 years old. Like, what are you thinking? That person is in the ring doing the thing. Oh, I like that. They're in the ring doing the thing. So that's where I'm just like, I'm so over trying to make stuff perfect. And if I can help one person, great. If I can help a hundred people, a thousand people, I want to do that. And so I've just learned that by trying to overproduce and make it so great inside of my head and pausing the launch and, and delaying that, it's just doing a disservice to myself and to the world. And I can't make anything better unless I get the first version out there for people to respond to. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times those like the trolls and the people who are, whether they're haters or just people who are going to give that kind of feedback, we're worried about showing our less than perfect course or, or product of whatever kind it is because they're going to pile on. But I found that with the betas that I've done, it's a small group of people who signs up for it. And those people, they're kind of taking a risk on you. And a lot of times they're the more generous people, like they are open. And every time I've done something like that with a small group, like those are the people who have made it so much better because they've been really generous with their feedback. They know that they've been, I've, I've been very upfront and said like, this is not going to be perfect. This is not going to be the final version. I need your help here. And there are going to be mistakes. I need you to point them out to me. And people are, are really excited to be involved with that a lot of times. So like, that it's a really like almost special time to when you can get that first version out to a small group of people and kind of co-create the next better version together. Yeah, we did uh, back in April, I think it was, we did a virtual summit called the digital marketing with soul summit. And I really hesitated doing it. I, I was like, we had done a couple of webinars and I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like people are really liking this. I'm like, I could do this format over the couple of, couple of days. I've hosted events before live events in person. I'm like, let's do it online. Let's take it online. I hesitated because I was like, ah, oh, but it's like, I don't have enough time. I don't have all the, you know, all of the things. And then I said, you know what? I need to put my money where my mouth is. I'm the person that's always saying like, well, you know, get in the ring. So I said, let's just do it. Let's do it. It's going to be messy. And on the thank you page after people register, I think it was after they registered, it was maybe right before or right after they registered. I, there was a video that I made where I just said, Hey, thank you so much for signing up. Hey, listen, I'm going to be hosting this from my basement because we can't, I can't leave my house. I'm not allowed to go outside. Internet speed is terrible here at my house. Who knows? Technical glitches are going to happen, but we're going to do this. We're in it together. And I remember the the second day of the summit, I, I got a Facebook message from one of the guys that attended and he said, dude, I can't believe that you thought about not doing this event. I have taken away so much from this event. I am so thankful that you did. It's like mind blowing that you thought that it wasn't going to be up to the level, you know, because I've got a, I've got a high standard for what excellence is. He's like, I'm so glad that you didn't hold it up to that level of excellence because to you, this might've been like, you know, a five out of 10, but to me, this is a 12 out of 10. I'm so, so thankful. So that was just one of those like reaffirmations of like, yes, it's always better to do it in, and when you can bring people along, like you were saying, like, Hey, I don't, I don't know what, you know, I've got high hopes for this, but who knows what's going to happen. The more open, authentic you are with your community, the more that they're going to be behind you and wanting this thing to be successful. Right. I remember reading an article years ago that has stuck with me and to this day shapes how I think about giving presentations publicly. 
whether that's giving a talk in person or doing a live video or putting out a pre-recorded course. The article talked about a study that had been done on event attendees and their feelings toward the person presenting. What they found is that overwhelmingly, audiences want the presenter to succeed. The most poignant part of the article talked about how when we're presenting and we make a mistake or forget our lines, our brains jump immediately to thinking that everyone is now judging us as a fraud or thinking less of us. In fact, however, in their research, they found out that overwhelmingly, audience members actually expressed an outpouring of positivity, support, and encouragement, actively willing the presenter to succeed. I've witnessed this myself a number of times where a speaker at an event has forgotten their lines or become overwhelmed with emotion. And instead of heckling or ridicule, the audience has started calling out their support and encouragement, and in a couple of the more magical instances, actually risen to give a standing ovation to will the speaker to carry on. As someone who has a history of being incredibly shy and afraid of public speaking, understanding that people are actually actively rooting for me if and when I inevitably mess up has been a huge help to me as I've started to put out my work more publicly. Before moving on to some of the particulars of what's working for Ryan in his businesses right now, I wanted to know if there were any common threads that he sees in successful online course creators. I think it's having a good sense of your purpose, your your mission, and your audience. Having that stuff defined and clearly laid out will serve you well. And having good copywriting, I think as we're transitioning, I'm thinking about the story brand format. Donald Miller, author of the story brand framework, that has been such a great framework for us to think through us not being the hero, but our clients being the hero and us being the guide to help them get a solution, whether or not it's us, hopefully it's us if we're a good fit. But, you know, having partnered and hired copywriters that are familiar with that format, that story brand format, it has made our, our website look and sound amazing. It has made our emails look and sound amazing while staying closely tied to our brand. So any course that I've ever bought, people are able to address my core problems, my struggles, and good copywriting can do that. So having a good copywriter or having good copywriting skills, knowing that that's a very important part of this whole thing, I would say, you know, and I think of some of my favorite course creators, I look at their copy and I'm like, holy cow, this is like, this is written so well that it, it seems like they have written it just for me right? That, that makes all the difference. Cause you know, like we were saying earlier, you can launch a course and you can think like, oh yeah, I've, I've laid it out. It's, it's got all these things and it's this long and it's like, you know, but if that doesn't, when I go to your website and I'm seeing that or reading that, or I'm getting your email, or I'm seeing your Facebook ad, if I can't think of like, what's in this for me, how is this going to help make my life better? Then I'm checked out. I'm done. I'm moving on to the next thing. So I would just say like having a good sense of who's your audience? What's the problem that they have? And in my case, I'm an okay writer. I, I write stuff. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. But then I give it to somebody that's actually a copywriter. And I'm like, holy cow, you just made that, you know, <laughs> you made me go from zero to hero. Like it just looks, so, sounds amazing. If you're looking to grow your audience online, guesting on podcasts is one of the best ways to increase your exposure and spread your message. And it's totally doable yourself. When done right, Guesting on podcasts allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your own content. I put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. 
To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. As filming is a largely in-person process, Ryan's business has had to make some big shifts in 2020. So with that in mind, I wanted to know what's working for him right now when it comes to getting in front of new people and growing his businesses. <laughs> the things that were working for us a year ago are not working for us today. So we are doing different things. The thing that has remained the same is building quality relationships. And we used to do that in person, whether it was networking events or workshops or conferences, or we used to host a breakfast once a month at our studio. And I would just invite different business leaders and friends to that to connect them with each other you know, we just aren't doing those things right now. Uh, I cannot wait until we are doing those things again. So in the meantime, when COVID happened, we decided we'd been wanting to do webinars online for a long time to expand our reach. And we did a couple, we had success. We did this digital marketing with soul conference online. And, you know, we had over 500 people sign up for it. I'm like, this is, this is cool. So this was like a brand new audience that we never had experience with. We're prepping for, we're going to do another one in September and we're really excited to make that even bigger. Like we know, we know that there are more people out there that want to know some of the people that we're connected with and learn from them. So for us, it's, it's really like, we're, we're kind of, can I use the word pivot? (laughs) We're pivoting to say, how, how can we add value in this time where we have a lot of creative constraints, but people authentic, you know, relationship driven, soulful people that actually care about other people and the good of the world. Like that's like our tribe. So how do we connect with more of those people? And for us, we're like, you know, hosting these online events. We do live streaming as part of, you know, our video production company. And now we're like, we're able to take that and create events and, let people get a ton of value out of the lessons that we're bringing forward, the the network that we've created, the network that we're continue, continuing to build. And I think from that, I would assume that we will have people that are going to say, hey, we'd love for you to partner with us and do a course, or we'd love for you to tell our brand story. So those are the things that we're kind of focusing a decent amount of time as we look at what is effective marketing. And it's like, well, let's create value. Let's put value out in the world. And if we attach our name to it, that can only serve us well. Like granted, it's going to take some time and energy to do those things, but it's like, well, we could do that. Or we could do some Facebook ads and try to say like, Hey, here's what we do and who we help and whatever. And and those could work. But if I'm going to spend time and energy on something, I would much rather try to humanize and all of the things that I do, if I can involve other people and build relationships and get smarter and learn and grow, like that's what my preference is. And I think over the past 16 years, that mindset or that attitude has really helped us be successful. And so now it's just a matter of like, just trying to think like, okay, how do we take this online and how do we do it in a way that's going to, you know, reach our target audience and ultimately get people to pay us money because I can't just like, you know, host stuff and do things for free uh, this whole time. So we've got, you know, a way to monetize what we're doing and, and also icing on the cake would be to use that two times in this episode would be for people to say, Hey, we love what you guys are about. And we would love to, you know, we've got a series of videos that we need, or we know somebody that could totally use your help and we would love to introduce you. So I don't know, it's a weird time, but I'm always up for a challenge. I like how it makes us think different and really makes us look at what do we want to be about? What are the kind of people that we want to be? Who do we want to serve and how can we help in this space? And so it sucks for a lot of people and it's sad and it's hard and all of that stuff is true. 
but at the same time, I can't sit in that space. I have to, I have to do something about it. And so I think this is, I think right now, this is the best thing that we've got going on. Yeah. I think you, you just can never go wrong with building more relationships. And that was kind of the reason why I started this podcast. Now I probably would have delayed on it longer. And I had all these conferences lined up to go to this year, of course, all of them canceled. And so I was like, okay, I I need a way to start connecting with a lot of the people that I wanted to connect to. So really like the thing that spurred this on was like, I want to talk to some of these people here who I look up to and whether they're, a lot of them are in the wellness space or a lot of them are serving people in the wellness space. And we work with almost probably three quarters of uh, wellness practitioners and coaches and course creators and all these types of people. And so I thought, okay, well, I know that world. I want to help serve those people further. And how can I start talking with some of the the people who are up at the top of the game there? And so like, obviously being a podcast production agency, it's like, well, let's just start having conversations and record them and other people are going to benefit. And kind of like you said, I would love if some of them said, oh, hey, like this is, uh, I really like what you're doing with the show. I'm looking to start a show or I have a show. Would you be able to help out with the production and marketing side of that? But if we never get one client from it, things are going to come from from building more relationships. And so I think that that's something that whether that's online or in person, you just can't really go wrong with doing. Yep. Agree. So you mentioned with the, the summit that one of the things that you were talking about was connecting with people who are trying to bring about a better world. And this is something that I I've really looked up to you for your viewpoint on, and you started a whole show about that at one point, your second podcast, which didn't last super long, but the episodes were incredible. Thanks. It's interesting. It's funny that yeah, we're on here now because I almost feel like part of the soul of that show has flowed into this one in my uh, view around it. Mm. And so there you go. I'm curious uh, when you think about business and our responsibility as business owners to the wider world beyond just the deliverables that we have for our clients or customers, how do you see that responsibility that we should be thinking about? Dude, that's a really deep question. <laughs> what is that? Uh, uh, I just I just watched. It was on kind of in the background. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I've not seen that movie in decades. And uh, what do they what do they say? Like be excellent to one another, or so, <laughs> something like that. Like that's like one of the their their key phrases. I operate. You know, when I started my business 16 years ago, a lot of it was driven by wanting to do good in the world, wanting to love people. And just trying to figure out how to do that in the business sense. And for a long time, I, I felt like I'm like, well, I can't make too much money because that would be like, you know, just weird with like, and, and then I realized later that I'm like, if I make a lot of money, I can actually give a lot of that away and I can help a lot of people and I can do a lot of things. So it boils down to how can I serve people in the best way possible? That is a different mindset than, you know, starting a business and just saying like, okay, I know this is going to be super profitable. Uh, and I know I'll be able to get my, you know, brand new kitchen, which we did at one point, we got a new kitchen. And then at another point, you know, we, we got a new house and it was because of my business. If, you know, my wife doesn't work, if, if I didn't have my business, we wouldn't be able to do those things. But if that's all I was after, I would be very unfulfilled. I would feel like, you know, am I just doing this just, uh, you know, working for the weekends, working for, you know, just, so that I don't have to work like that's, that's not fulfilling either. But if in my work, I can see like, I have opportunity to help other people, to encourage other people, to challenge other people, to speak life into other people, whether that's my employees, whether that's my clients, uh, to, you know, to challenge my clients and how they think about things. Uh, and then, you know, at some point to say, Hey, there's a tribe of other people that want to have a video business like I do. And I can actually share a lot of the mistakes that I've made and I can help them along the way and I can help them build freedom in their lives and I can help them grow their income so that they can have some of those same freedoms. 
that has been very fulfilling for me to say, if I can put other people before myself other and think about people in that way, and then also knowing that as I'm doing that, I'm going to be fulfilled. And as I've done that for, you know, and I have not done it perfectly, but as I've tried to do that over the last 16 years, I've also seen a return on that investment. As I've invested in people, it has come back to me many times over. And there's no, uh, there's no like written, like, well, if you do this, you're going to get this. Like, I mean, and people might argue that, but I would say, yeah, if, if you invest in stuff that matters, and I would say that relationships, people are probably the most important thing that you can invest your, your, your time into, you're going to see a return on that. And that might mean that maybe you have to change the business that you're in at some point, or you have to do something new or different, and it, you're not always going to do the same thing. Like, it could mean that. But I think always asking ourselves that question, how, how can I show up today and help people today that will serve your business, that will serve your family, your friends? And, and again, I don't want to come off saying like, I do that super well, but the times that I have done that intentionally, I've reaped so many benefits and rewards because of that mindset and because of that desire and the trying and the failing in, uh, in doing that along the way. Ryan is one of those people who I'm just so grateful to have had come into my life, especially when he did early on in my business. He's been something of a North Star to me and a guide on how to build a business with heart and soul, how to be a better leader, and really how to be the very best person I can be. A lot of what I've learned from him comes down to relationships, which as you heard, he values highly. Whether it's with team members, clients, collaborators, friends, or family, Ryan has taught me a lot about the value of building strong relationships based on transparency, vulnerability, and boundaries. To continue the conversation, I'd love to hear how you think about establishing and nurturing relationships in business. You can head over to betterwellness.biz voice and leave me a voicemail, and I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. If you'd like to get in touch with Ryan directly, you can email him at ryan at tellstudios.com or check out the website at tellstudios.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to his fantastic Digital Marketing with Soul conference, his podcast, Studio Sherpas, and a free guide to help you tell your brand story in a way that hooks your ideal clients and customers. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Karen Paddock, one half of the Wellness Business Podcast, all about how to use workshops to attract your ideal clients. I learned a lot in this interview with Karen, and I think you're going to enjoy it as well. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative, Big thanks in particular to Tom Kelly for sound engineering support, Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. Finally, to you listening, thank you so much again for spending this time with me, and until next time, keep building better. Better.